Hello and welcome back. I am really excited about the episode I have for you today. I will be speaking with Leanne Townsend, who is a family law attorney in Toronto, Canada. Um, We have spoken many times before inside my community, and I consider her to be such an expert as a family lawyer, but also because she has such a compassionate way of approaching family law. You know, there's no... Um, she's not somebody who increases the conflict or anything like that. So I really value her opinion and I'm really happy to be bringing it to you today. And our topic today is going to be around divorcing a narcissist or a high conflict person. You know, there's definitely a certain skill set to that and some things that have to be considered differently. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So like I said, she is a family law attorney here in Toronto, Canada. She is the founder of Townsend Family Law, where her practice is focused on family law, domestic violence and victim advocacy. Prior to founding her own firm, Leanne gained significant experience both as a partner at a respected law firm in Toronto, as well as over 16 years as an assistant crown attorney, most of which was spent as a domestic violence co-lead in the Toronto West Crown Attorney's Office. She's regularly interviewed in the media and has been featured on CBC Television, CP24, CTV News, numerous radio stations, as well as in the Lawyers Daily and Divorce Magazine. She's been a guest speaker in the media and on numerous podcasts on topics including abusive relationships, divorcing a narcissist, co-parenting, and many other family law topics. In addition, she has spoken at a variety of events focused on women empowerment, and she regularly writes her own blog on topics related to family law and women empowerment. She also hosts the Divorcing Well podcast, as well as co-hosts the Divorce Explained podcast. Leanne has degrees in political science, education, and law. Her biggest pride and joy are her two children, who she lives with in Toronto, Canada. In addition to her business, Leanne is passionate about fitness, travel, and lifelong education. I will be including all of her contact information, her social media channels, which she is very active on Instagram. I'll include all of that below in the show notes. But for now, um, let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. I'm so grateful to be allowed into your headset and day today. My name is Elizabeth Joy, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you're going through separation and divorce. Here we talk about how to heal, move forward, and find love if you're so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself, and creating the life you deserve. Our tools are community, sisterhood, honesty, vulnerability, spirituality, and coaching. And that's when we aren't talking to experts, as we are today. I'm also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried, and a stepmom to three. So we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce, but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, Leanne. It is such a pleasure to be talking to you on my podcast, since I know we've talked many times on your podcast and inside my membership, but this is your first time on my podcast. So welcome. It's really exciting to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've uh, seen uh, 
you know, I've listened to your podcast and I've seen your posts about it as well. And it seems like it's helping a lot of people. So uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's it, it seems to be getting good feedback. So I'm I'm running with it and just having fun doing it, which was kind of what I promised myself to not get too caught up in how just do it. So I'm sure you can relate to that. You've been doing yours for a while now. So, um, you know, it's um, I, I've always one of the reasons I've always enjoyed speaking with you you know, as a legal professional, if you will, and I almost feel like that's making it sound like it's not nice to talk to lawyers, which is not what I'm saying. But um, I think we share a lot of views and we've we've sat down and had glasses of wine together. So we share a lot of views when it comes to, you know, what ultimately we like to help our clients with in our own way. And, you know, I, I love referring local women to you because I know that they're going to be represented fairly and honestly and not you're not out to get anyone um but i think you also have a reputation though for being a great lawyer in a high conflict case would you say that that's kind of true i mean i don't know if i'm if that's my reputation or not i i know that i get a lot of um cases that are high conflict um i have a lot of clients in those types of situations and I have a background um, with a lot of training and experience in the area of domestic violence. So I think that I bring a lot of skills and experience to the table. And, and so when I have clients who are in those types of situations, um, I think I have a lot of tools in my toolbox and a lot of experience to draw upon uh, in terms of knowing how to to best help the client and, and be a support for them, um, you know, legally, but also, um, you know, on a, a non-legal level as well, almost in a coachy or a, I'm not, I'm certainly not a therapist or anything, but, you know, just on that kind of yeah. not necessarily straight legal level, but, you know, the, the level that a lot of people still need sometimes when they're in those types of situations. A hundred percent. I actually, you know, this, when we're recording this, it's October and this domestic violence awareness month. And um, I, I had a, an amazing interview with a woman who actually has gone through domestic violence, whom I think we both know. Um, and I'm going to be talking to her on here as well later on, uh, um, later this or next month, probably. But um, it is, it's a very sad topic and shocking in many ways. But it's also good to know for someone like myself to have someone like you to refer people to as they come um, because I know they'll get more from you than just that. So I'm so grateful that, that you know, you, you take an interest in being there for them in that way as well, not just making it about the legal, because they, like you said, they certainly need more. Um, you've been a lawyer for a while, and I noticed in your bio, like, how long have you been a lawyer? I was called to the bar in 1995. Are you asking me to do math? That's like almost uh, 30 years, right? 27 years, yeah. <laughs> um, and have you been in family law from the beginning? No, the first um, half of my career, I was uh, a prosecutor. I was an assistant crown attorney um, and my specialty was domestic violence. And I was the co-lead of the domestic violence team in the uh, Toronto West Crown's office. So there obviously when you're dealing with domestic violence, you're still dealing with kind of family issues. But I was dealing with it from the criminal law element, not the family law element. Um, and then since then, I've done family law. Okay, so that kind of brought you into it. I um I read your bio earlier, and one of the things you mentioned in there, which um, I love seeing because I kind of feel the same way, is lifelong um, education is one of your sort of personal interests, along with fitness and travel. Um, now, 
I'm asking that question in connection with the fact that I know you just went out on your own into a private practice. And am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm curious if the lifelong learning is being enhanced by the fact you got out on your own. I'd love to know a little bit more about why you went out on your own as well. So if you can just kind of share a little bit about what's going on with you these days, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I went out on my own. It's something that I've always wanted to do. I, I actually was on my own for a little bit of time before I kind of did the the whole firm thing. And I have an entrepreneurial side. So I think, you know, from that standpoint, um, being on my own, I, I like, but part of it as well, to be honest, was I, I found when I was at a firm, um, I, my hands were tied more um, with respect to, you know, a lot of the, the things related to billing practices and things. And so um, if I wanted to write time off, um, either my own time or time from, you know, an, like an associate or a clerk who had worked on a file where I felt there was some duplication. Um, there was some issues sometimes with doing that. Um, I also just like to be able to, you know, sometimes I, I don't take legal aid cases, but I do sometimes um, offer like reduced fees. So if I meet with someone and I know that I can tell that they really, really need my help, um, but they're on a really, they don't have a lot of money, um, and for either they don't qualify for legal aid or they don't want to use legal aid. I'll, I'll sometimes offer a reduced rate and, and it was harder to do that, um, at a firm. And there's just, there's just like a whole lot more sort of politics and different things like that mm -hmm. when you're, you know, with a, a larger firm as well, in terms of how you do things and whatnot. So I, I wanted to go out on my own so that I could do things the way that, you know, I want to do them, build the way I want to build and, um, not be a machine that has to constantly look at my, am I meeting my billing targets? Am I, you know, billing the, the X number of hours I need to bill a month to keep management happy and, and all of that sort of thing. I, I, I don't like that way of having to practice. Um, and so I wanted to be able to give clients more attention on their files and not feel like I had to, I do have a lot of clients, but I felt more pressure at a firm to be carrying like a really large uh, client load. And then sometimes you feel like you're not as in individually attentive as you might be to individual mm -hmm. files. And I wanted to be able to do that. So I wanted to make it affordable and then also just more attention um, by me and not always having to rely on uh, associates and, and whatnot. So those are some of the main reasons why I wanted to go out on my own. Um, and I just did that in July, as you probably know. So I'm yeah. still, I haven't even got my new website up or anything like that. <laughs> so it's still very much, um, you know, in its infancy, but I'm already growing. I've hired two associates. So I'm happy about that. That's great. Uh, yeah. And well, I think when, you know, when it's your own business, you can do it how you want to do it. And, and I, and I like that. Yes. No, and, and, you know, you've been practicing for a long time. So, you know, it's, there comes a point probably where, yeah, you don't want to put up with a BS anymore. Like you said, like, and not that it's all BS, but you know, it's just, there's a personal touch that gets lost in the big company. And I think this, I think this is going to be amazing for you. I think you'll thrive um, in every way doing yes. this. Um, now, are there other things that you want to bring into your practice now that you're on your own? Like you can do whatever you want now, right? Yeah, no, and, and that's true. And, and that was like, actually, you've kind of touched upon another reason why I like the idea of going on my own is that like over the years, there's been other things I wanted to get involved in that are related to 
um, you know, divorce or the, the family law industry, so to speak. But because I was at a firm, there were issues about whether I could get involved in doing some of these things. And so it this kind of frees me up because mm-hmm. I don't have to get approvals from people. You know, there's been there's been things where I've been asked to get involved in projects that provide, you know, inf- legal information to people, uh, you know, whether it's a, a different sort of website or a project or a, a, a book and things like that. And so this allows me to be able to do those sorts of things and not have to worry about whether my law firm will let me or not. And, um, you know, there's and having to sign, you know, whatever a law firm might make me sign in, in order to do it. So, um, you know, definitely, I, I would like to be like with the firm I have, like one of the things that um, is important to me is being like treating my clients from a holistic perspective. So when they come through the door in that initial consultation, I want to assess like, what are their other needs beyond just purely the legal and then be able to refer them out to other professionals I know who might have other supports they could use, whether it's someone like yourself with the separation club that you have, or whether it's a, a therapist who, you know, who I, you know, have in my network or, um, you know, other types of coaches or an accountant or, um, you know, any number of mediators, parenting quarters, like whatever it might be. Um, I, I want to look at clients holistically and I do look at them that way. And, you know, as you well know, Elizabeth, um, cause you work with so many, you know, women who are going through separation, um, you know, they, they need a lot of support. I mean, like it, it's, it's a really challenging time in someone's life and we can't be all things to all people. We all have our, our specialty yeah. and our, what we provide to people. So, you know, and I don't profess to be able to, you know, do the things that other people can do, but if at least I can connect my clients with the right people so that they have those supports, then I'm doing them a huge service. That's, that's amazing. And I love hearing that. And I, honestly was fully expecting you to do that because of what I know about you once you were rid of the you know restrictions I guess of being in a bigger firm um I I spoke to someone a financial planner or advisor who I'm pretty sure you know um Eva Sachs um that I had on my podcast and she has the the modern divorce which is again that sort of holistic approach um allowing clients to get more you know in certain circumstances it doesn't always work but anyway I just I, I asked her, and I'm wondering if you have um, gotten a sense of this, is this, do you think offering a more holistic approach in family law, is there a movement towards that more and more, would you say, coming away a little bit from the traditional litigation family law? I think there is. I, I mean, I definitely think there should be. Um, yeah. If- there isn't there definitely is a need for it and and I do think there is some movement that way there's always unfortunately going to be those high conflict um you know divorces where the people just want to fight and they're going to rack up huge legal bills um you know in the courts and no other option you know remotely appeals to people in those situations um and then there's some situations you people who get dragged into that type of situation whether they want it to be that or not but i think that there is a whole there's a large group of people out there that don't fall into that category and i think a whole more holistic approach um appeals to them and they they recognize the benefits of 
um, you know, using different professionals uh, to help them through uh, this time. And, you know, one of the things I know we've chatted about before, you know, for example, is the use of a divorce coach. And, yeah. um, you know, divorce coaches can be very helpful to, to lawyers even. I mean, I, I don't know how well, like all lawyers necessarily embrace them. But, you know, in my experience, when I've had clients who are working with a divorce coach, I've found it's been a very effective way for the client to keep their legal fees down because they can use their divorce coach for certain things um, rather than having to use, you know, me at a higher hourly rate for, and they can focus on using me for the legals. And then they've got that extra support or if they have questions that are of a non-legal nature, but legal in like non-legal advice nature, but their legal information nature, like, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to be able to give good legal information. Yeah. And, and you don't have to be a lawyer to help fill out financial forms. And, you know, there's a lot of those things are very overwhelming. A lot of divorce coaches help with the forms yeah. and help kind of take a lot of that fear. That's, you know, that, you know, the fear of doing it wrong and, you know, that kind of stuff away as well, which again, like you said, is not necessary for you at your rate to be doing that. Um, there's a lot of room for that. And I, um, I, you know, I think, well, you kind of opened the door and I was going to take you there anyway and talk a little bit about high conflict cases because it seems to be what everybody wants to know about. Um, and I, I think so many people think they're in a high conflict case and there are definitely, I mean, let's, let's face it, high conflict cases exist. There's no avoiding that. Um, I was one of those myself, but I've spent a lot of time looking back, you know, what could I have done to diffuse that? You know, and I do think there is an opportunity, both depending on the lawyer you choose and the other kind of help that you get to possibly help bring the level, the the intensity level down. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today as well. Um, so first of all, I guess, I, in my opinion, it would seem really important if you feel you're going into divorce um, with someone, so you're, you're now soon to be ex, is a high conflict personality, for example, uh, or seems to be indicating that they want to fight. Um, should should the, the individual who then needs to go and hire a lawyer, the other partner, the more peaceful partner, shall we say, would it be important that they find someone, an attorney who is uh, experience in dealing with high conflict would that make a difference or is does every lawyer know how to do that what, what would you say to that um I think it's important that they find a lawyer who is experienced with with dealing with high conflict and who is able to deal with it because I mean a lot of lawyers don't I mean I don't think I, I there's some lawyers who love high conflict I, I'm not one of them I deal with a I lot would of be afraid of them actually because I don't think that's good either. <laughs> yeah, but there are some who I think who thrive, you know, they're high conflict personalities themselves. So they yeah. they thrive in high conflict because that's the way they are. I, I'm certainly not like that. I don't love high conflict. I actually prefer cases that are are not high conflict. But I, I, I also, you know, know that, you know, there are those cases where there is high conflict. And so if you're somebody out there who your spouse is maybe that way and they've hired a lawyer who's that way, it's definitely important that you you get a lawyer who's experienced with that. Um, because, you know, the, if you don't, you could end up finding, you know, that you end up feeling bullied and, um, you know, that the other side is running roughshod over you. If you, you know, if you have a lawyer who is 
like very conflict avoidant or doesn't like, you know, doesn't lit, you know, some lawyers don't litigate. I mean, that's, you know, that's, all, or they're very resistant to litigation. And I've always found that like, you have to be able to offer an array of tools, which is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not a fan of collaborative law, because I just feel that um, all lawyers can offer small C collaborative law. Like we don't all have to run to court every time there's a case we can negotiate and come to settlements but if you use a, a big c collaborative lawyer and you follow the collaborative process if you can't settle it or come to an agreement then you have to go get a new lawyer and yeah. start over and that's like very expensive to have to get a whole new lawyer acquainted with your file and everything else so that's the reason why i don't really like collaborative law i think as a lawyer we should be able to offer an array of, of services that a client might need um but, you know, there are certain strategies in high conflict cases that are important um, to know. And I also think it's important that if you if your spouse is high conflict and they have a lawyer who is very, very aggressive, you don't necessarily want to get a lawyer who is equally aggressive and equally a pit bull, because that can sometimes be the worst combination is having two lawyers who are like that. And that that's where it just spirals and the legal fees become incredible. And you're spending, you know, thousands of dollars on these endless letter writing, you yeah. know, campaigns and things like that. So I think you want to get someone who's strong and who's going to protect your interests and isn't afraid to litigate, but not necessarily going you know, to that, escalate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want you want someone who, you know, like one a lawyer who I, you know, do a lot of stuff with who I have enormous respect for. He's my mentor is Steve Benmore. And, you know, Steve can litigate with the best of them. Um, he enjoys court, but he's also very resolution oriented and solution focused. And he's not going to unnecessarily escalate a matter. He knows how to diffuse it. And so you want to get a lawyer who, who who's strong and who will litigate, but who also knows how to de-escalate and diffuse. Yeah. Yeah. And is and I guess ultimately a lawyer who isn't somebody somebody described to me once that lawyers generally or a litigation lawyer anyway, who a trial lawyer, they like to win. That there's an element of that in court. And I'm sure it's not true for all of them, but it's probably true for some. And so if, like you said, if you get this like pit bull here and you have a pit bull there, you might be in a situation where they end up in a way making it about winning over the other lawyer, not so much about serving their client. And I mean, of course, those horror stories exist. So, but, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily represents all family lawyers who go to court at all. Um, yeah. I So I guess my question is for someone who knows they're going into this divorce process with, uh, and they have an a more hostile ex, what would be some questions that they could ask their lawyer to make sure that that's the right person for them? Like, what? because I feel like most lawyers would say, oh, yeah, I, I can handle that. But like, what would be some more maybe specific questions that a client could ask? I mean, I think they'd want to maybe ask them how, you know, what is their plan or their strategy? Um, if, if I retain you today, what 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 is the next thing you're going you're gonna to do? What is your strategy? So you can get a sense of you know, what do they plan to do? Um, I mean, you can ask them their experience with high conflict cases. Again, I mean, they could, I guess, mislead or fudge a, a bit on that. Um, but, um, you know, you might want to ask them what's their, you know, what are their settlement strategies? What are their strategies for diffusing a high conflict mm -hmm. situation? Um, you know, and see what they say, what their responses are to that. Um, I mean, I think you can get a sense if someone is, 
you know, just a pit bull type of personality. I, 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 I personally think it's very rare to find someone who's a pit bull who also is warm and fuzzy. Um, yes. And so that could be, you know, a sign there. If you're already in the, the consult and this person is just the complete pit bull sides coming out. Um, and that's a, that's a problem I think a lot of people have is they think they want to get a lawyer, you know, I want to, I want to get a lawyer who's going to fight for me and who's going to yeah. be strong. And, you know, yes, of course, you want someone who's going to advocate for you and be strong. But as they say, you, you don't necessarily want this high conflict pit bull who may appear to you to be strong and like they're going to fight for you. But they at the end of the day, you may end up spending a lot of money unnecessarily um, in that type of situation. Absolutely. And I, I I think it's fear that drives that. I think it's the fear that, you know, my ex is going to run me over. I, I certainly hear them express that, for example, in my community, that they're afraid that they won't be heard. And so they want this pit bull to make sure they get heard. They don't maybe understand that they can be heard in other ways. It's, you know, simply because your attorney is not emotionally attached to this person and is much less likely to be triggered or silenced by some jackass sitting on the other table, you know, on the other side. So whether it's the lawyer or the ex um, who's behaving badly. Um, when I, I love what you said about asking about their strategy, because I think that's something that a lot of people feel afraid to do because they feel like they might be stepping on someone's toes or that they, you know, shouldn't be asking or they wouldn't even know what would be a good strategy. But I, I love that question. And I think even if you don't know what you're doing or don't know anything about family law, which most of us don't until we're thrown into it, um, I still think it's a valid question. And I think even just having that conversation with this potential person that you're going to hire, um, even that's just going to, you know, right away, you're going to get a sense of how they think about cases. And it's either going to feel good or it's not going to feel good. And I really... I do recommend that in my group all the time, talk to two or three and pick the one that you feel heard with. Because if you're coming out of a situation in a marriage where you never felt heard or where you felt trampled on or you felt potentially you dealt with verbal abuse or anything like that, you might be much more intimidated in the situation, even just having a consult with an attorney. So I think it's really important that they keep talking to them and find looking for someone until they are with someone they feel safe with. I think that's must be incredibly important. And and you must be so aware of that as well, considering you've done work around domestic violence. I mean, these women would have to feel safe with you. Sure. I think it's, I mean, I, and I think that's really important. A lot of people, you know, they end up retaining the first lawyer they go to and they don't really research. It's like they, they're in, they're scrambling, trying to find a lawyer. So they take, you know, their, their third cousin, you know,'s best friend refers them to somebody and that's who they go to. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it is, I, I highly recommend people meet with, you know, more than one lawyer. And then when you ask that strategy question, you can hear, you might hear different answers. So then yeah. you can get a sense, oh, I don't really like what this lawyer said, what their strategy would be, but this lawyer, it, it resonates with me. And, you know, and when, one thing I always say to people is, you're the client, you're the source of business, you're the one paying this lawyer, they're, they're the hired person, they, they need your business in order to have their business going so you should never feel afraid or intimidated to ask questions um to challenge them on things um you know it's like it's like doctors too like I, a lot of people are they don't want to challenge a doctor about yeah. something they're saying and 
um, you know, challenge them, like, you know, and, and ask your lawyer questions like they're, you know, I view it, I'm accountable to my clients and, you know, yes, I'm the professional and, you know, does it get frustrating when I have a client who's been spending too much time on Google, um, and they're Google lawyering, <laughs> but you know what, they're, they're allowed, like, I'm gonna, I'm not going to be rude about it. I'll settle yeah. to ask me these questions. And I think, um, you need to feel comfortable to be able to ask your lawyer questions and you know, they don't have to be your friend. I mean, I think this is something too, people need to remember, like you're not hiring them to be your friend. Um, I mean, if, if they, if you become like, I have a client that I've become very good friends once her matter, you know, was done and that's great. But I, I always remember I was going through a legal situation myself. It wasn't uh, it was an estate situation where my father had passed away and we had a, an estate litigator who we retained and I could not stand this man, like his personality. I could not stand him, but I had to keep reminding myself that I wasn't hiring him to like him or for him to be my friend. I was hiring him to do a certain job and he was doing that job very, very well. So he was the right person, you know, to go with. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind, you know, with your lawyer. I mean, ideally you want to at least like them, but at the yes. end of the day, if you can communicate with them and they're doing their job well, that's what you're looking for. Not necessarily you know, somebody that you want to go have dinner with. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, it's nice if you can, but I wouldn't use that as a criteria. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% hear you on that. When I went through mine, um, my first lawyer, uh, well, she, yeah, so she owned the company and we, I, I loved sitting, talking to her. It was like sitting with my mom almost. She was just very comforting and gentle and kind and which actually caused me to spend more money than I should until I realized because I would chit chat with her. And of course you're paying, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a problem too, right? <laughs> I learned that lesson fairly quickly. It's like, stop asking about the weather in the weekend. Okay. Like just get, get to business. But when it, when it became evident that my case was actually going to end up in a trial, she then actually referred me to another lawyer in the company who was a trial lawyer because she just, she goes, I just don't do it anymore. She goes, I just, it's stressful. I, I don't like it. I really try to help my client here. But the good thing was that I didn't have to go through that whole like hiring a new lawyer because they were in the same office. Everything was shared. They had a conversation. And so it, it was a smooth transition for me. But so my trial lawyer and I, well, we became friends. I never actually saw her once it was over, but there were definitely a couple of times when we would sit and do our work together because there was a lot of hours of work and strategizing for that. Um, yeah, like, you know, I'd buy her a drink at the end of it or something. And we certainly did a little bit of that. So, but, um, and I liked her, like we, we enjoyed each other's company, which was good because it helped diffuse something that was so stressful for me. Yeah. Um, so it was good to be able to every now and then just crack a joke about something unrelated or even about that, you know, if necessary. Right. So, sure. um, so I, I found myself thinking, um, when it comes to these high conflict people, so obviously you must every now and then get the high conflict clients. I mean, I'm assuming it happens to you as no well. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess that they don't know that they are the high conflict client. Like they, no. they just kind of walk <laughs> in with a, an air of entitlement and I want this and I'm not giving in on this. But have you ever come across someone who is actually realizing or were either that they're realizing themselves that they might be escalating it or that, have you encountered an opportunity where you've been able to say to someone in whatever way that they're the ones who are escalating, like there's an opportunity here to de-escalate and that it is in your office that this opportunity sits? Like, have you ever been in that situation? 
Um, I've been in situations where I felt that both like my client and the opposing party were both escalating and mm. I've taken my client, you know, aside and said, you know, look, um, this, this is going to go down two ways. Um, you know, either you're both just going to keep behaving the way you are, and this is just going to keep escalating and escalating. And this whole process is going to take several years and you're going to end up paying me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and you know, that money that could have been going towards your children is going to be going towards my children. Um, and you know, this is going to drag on for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, you can take a step back and not be the way your, your former partner is behaving and, you know, take a more, um, reasoned approach, pick, pick the few things that are most important to you. Let's focus on those and maybe let them have some of these other things. Um, or do you know, and I've had the other thing too, like, I mean, I've had situations where we're heading for trial or we're in a, we're in a trial even, and they're, they, they, some of the stuff is resolved. And then you're fighting about something that's maybe worth 50 that like you're fighting about $50,000 or something. And at that point, like you really should not be in a trial situation because it's your legal fees are going to be more than that. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, so you try and get them to look at the big picture here. I mean, there, there are those people, I have a client say to me yesterday, as a matter of fact, cause we were drafting his offer to settle. And I was saying, I don't know that the other party is going to you know, be interested in this. And, you know, and his response was that he'd rather pay me uh, to keep fighting if that's what's going to be, then, you know, have money go to the other party. So there are those people that have that, you know, that mindset and I'll challenge them on that. Cause I don't think, even though, you know, you think that it, you know, yes, it's lining my pockets, but I'm not, the, I don't enjoy that. Like no. I, if I, if I think someone's being unreasonable, I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy that kind of battle with the other side where I'm, you know, fighting over something that I think is, is ridiculous and people should just be settling here. Um, but you know, it, it happens unfortunately, um, all too often. It's, it does. And I, um, typically just because I serve women, it's usually the men that have more money. So I hear less of exactly that kind of a statement, but I'll certainly hear it when it comes to other things like the kids, like parenting agreements, not giving in. And I find that the more money there is in the marriage coffers, the more they're going to fight about it too. The more they're going to spend and the more they're going to fight and the longer they'll hang in there because they, there's more, I guess, on the line. Um, but I, I guess, you know, for so here I am, for example, one of the first people that these women often encounter, like they often come into my group when they're still even just thinking of it. I, you know, often it's in my group that they start asking questions like, how do I hire a lawyer? And we certainly, as we're helping with questions and focus and all that stuff, I certainly try to bring them down. But what would be something that you wish that people like me or divorce coaches or the people advising either party, counseling, therapy, what would be something you wish we would say to them? <laughs> Is there anything we could do to help? Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, I think a big issue that is so common in so many cases is people's expectations. I think that a lot of people have very unrealistic expectations about what they're going to get out of th their separation and divorce. And, you know, because they'll, they'll sit down and, you know, the law will, you know, says what you're entitled to. 
Um, but the reality is often you don't get everything you're entitled to yeah. you know, and, and you, and I think that people need to go into it with that understanding that, you know, to be like, not to be a little bit more like to be reasonable. And I, I don't like the word fair because fair to me is a subjective word. Everyone yeah. has different ideas of what's fair, but to, to just understand, you're probably not going to get everything that you're entitled to. And, um, you know, and, and I, I guess the big thing I wish, I mean, I don't, I think, I, I do think the divorce professionals like yourself and others are telling people this, but I just feel like there's a, everyone hates family lawyers and like most of us really are trying to help people. We really yeah. are. And it's a, it's a pretty thankless job at times, um, quite honestly, because, you know, our hands are tied to some degree and, and, you know, the, the rates are what the rates are you know, are like when you work at a firm, if, like when I was at working at the firms, like a firm is taking 50% of everything that I was collecting. So people think that all that money is going to, you know, towards me and it, it's not. Um, but so I just think, I guess the main thing, I think just people need to, to just have to maybe lower their expectations a little bit about what they, you know, what they may end up with. Um, and that, you know, compromise isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, even if you really dislike the other person. I think that's, um, very good advice. And that, that is something that I actually tried to relay. And I know, um, when I was speaking to the financial advisor, she said something which I, I would imagine is very, would be similar. Plus, first of all, the financial is a big part of the legal settlement. Um, but regardless, parenting, whatever, there's this range, right? You're going to end up somewhere in this range, either closer to this side or closer to that side. But there's very little you can do to just suddenly get like the world handed to you because of whatever. And then it's just kind of accepting that this is the range you're going to end up in. How much do you want to spend to get a little bit closer to the top? And, yeah. you know, whereas can there be compromises where you give it a little bit more in this part and give it a little less here and whatever, and, you know, like you said, negotiations. But I think, you're right. It's it's important to go in and understand that you're not going to get what you may think is fair because of what your ex did. So that's what I'll hear. This is the part I hear the emotional side, right? So, for example, um, a woman might say, you know, my ex cheated and he's already off living with his new girlfriend and he doesn't deserve to see the children. Well, <laughs> It's like, I understand the emotion, um, but you're never going to win that. So there's no point in trying to win that. You're going to spend a ridiculous amount of money trying to achieve something that is against the law. The law yeah. will never give you that. So, uh, you know, it's trying, it's helping people understand that. So I've definitely, you know, we, that is definitely what I try to say to people, but of course it's, uh, it's tough when the emotions get going. When I, um, when I went through my trial, uh, there was one thing that was kind of, people would describe it as I left money on the table. So there was something else I could have fought for, but it would have been one more day. Now, you know what one more day costs. Yeah. I was like, you know what? And not to mention what it was going to cost me personally, like emotionally to go through one more day. We went through three days, three days. Yeah. I was like, no, I don't, I, it's okay. Like, don't don't need it. And there was also money that he never gave me that I was entitled to. But the thought of going back to court, 
on, on any level was just like it was just abhorrent to me I was just like I, I just I'm just not doing it like I'm just I'm done here <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I am done he actually yeah. granted us a divorce the lawyer the judge that day which apparently is quite unheard of but that was the only thing we agreed on <laughs> yeah so that was um but anyway it was it was an unpleasant experience and one that I do not recommend and when people say things to me like oh I think we're going to end up there do everything you can not to because you're literally paying for one of their children's education like that's what it cost me so no, exactly it was- and it's like any with a, anything with a judge, it's a wild card. Like, you know, you can yeah. go in front of one judge and you're going to get one result. You go in front of another judge and you could get a completely different result on the same facts. Like, unfortunately, because because by the time something's going to trial or in parties don't agree, it's because the area is gray. Like everyone thinks law is black and white. And it's like, oh, I'm entitled to this. So I should get that. And that's what should happen. And there wouldn't be disputes if it was black and white. There's a lot of things where, you know, as you said, there's a range or it's gray. You know, there's some case law that supports that you're entitled to this. And there's some case law that supports that you're not. And so depending on what judge you get, that can really affect the result. And you know, people need to understand that is that you're when you're taking something out of your own power to make a decision on and come to a settlement and you're putting it in the hands of a judge who doesn't know you, who has their own biases and is bringing their own, you know, background thoughts to the table, you might not get the result that you're, you're looking for just because of the judge's own, you know, views on things. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. And it's, a, it's an incredibly um upsetting process and I think it creates a wedge between partners that takes a really long time to overcome um and that's significant from a standpoint of their co-parenting right that I think that's huge like you know that's something I as a lawyer always recognize too like these two people like at the end of the trial the other lawyer and I like we're going off and we're going back to our lives and 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 on and then we're leaving behind these two people who have to co-parent these children for the you know the, the rest of their lives essentially on some level. I mean, when they're adult, the children are adults, it's a bit different, but, you know, and we're leaving behind this family in a sense, you're still a family, even if you're not together because you have children together and, you know, at anything that, you know, further destroys that relationship, that co-parenting relationship, it's really hard to, to recover from that and to rebuild it on any level. And it's only helping your children if you can. I know. You know, I, I find in the work that I do and um, in, in the last, so I've been doing it for almost four years now and just with my own experience as well. And I, I don't look back on that experience with any kind of like, oh, I won or even that I lost. To me, we both lost. I don't think anyone won. Um, and I'm not even talking about financial numbers, just what we went through and the money that was spent, um, what it cost the kids, you know, to see us go through that. But I, you know, I find I find myself now that I'm I'm dealing with women every single day who are in this place. It's like if people could operate from a place of kindness, and now I sound like I'm on some kind of um, you know, <laughs> Miss Universe pageant. Like I just want world peace and everybody to love each other, right? But but yeah, I kind of want world peace and everybody to love each other. Like, can we not remember that there was a time when you were really in love and you did decide to have children together? And there's there's a ton of good stuff that's sitting in a memory vault over here. Can you not draw on some of that and try to find a peaceful place and give and take a little bit? You know, it's it's just, it doesn't all have to become a drag down 
brawl because because your ex cheated or because of whatever. Uh, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for people like myself and you and other professionals to deal with them along the way to help to diffuse and guide them in that direction to try to come from a place of a more peaceful place because ultimately everybody's going to end up with more money in their pocket, which is a huge stressor. And like you said, they're going to be able to co-parent better and get along. Like they still have to show up at each other's, their children's weddings. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's such a tough situation. And I, I found myself more and more wanting or wishing here. My notifications are going off, wishing more and more that I could make a difference that I, I can somehow impact some kind of change. And I haven't figured out what that is, but I think, working with people, you know, sending people to lawyers like yourself, because you're right, lawyers get a bad rap. But I know you're not one of those people. And I love being able to send people to you because I know that my clients are going to be treated well and that they're going to feel safe and that they have the possibility to not escalate, right? That that opportunity exists with you. And I think the more professionals who get on board of a more holistic approach as you have, um, like, this financial advisor I spoke to has and just understanding that there's a much bigger picture here. So let's find a way through this that it's not just about winning. Right. Oh, exactly. I mean, and I think that's so true. And I, I, I the whole system, I, I wish there was a way to just do a complete overhaul and mm -hmm. not make it an adversarial system. You know, like that's the, the I know, you know, generally the, the justice system, it's an adversarial one. Um, but, you know, I think in family law, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be set up that way. Um, you know, it, it, it really should be more, a more collaborative way. And, um, you know, yes, it's more when you have, if you have somebody who is abusive or, you know, it, it has been in, you know, has been an abuser in a relationship, they're, they're going to continue to be abusive and abusing, you know, through the separation and divorce, that's not going to change. Um, and, you know, that's going to make something more adversarial, you know, because of it. But um, I don't know, I just think the whole the whole way it's set up with parties having, you know, being on opposite sides and fighting about things, it's, there's only a limited piece of pie to carve up and then the stuff to do with the children, there really shouldn't, you know, I, one of my pet peeves is when people want to you know, restrict the other parents time with the children. And there's no basis for like, the, you know, it's not like that they're a child abuser, or they have mm -hmm. substance abuse issues and things like that. They just, you know, they're bitter because, you know, of, of cheating, or they're bitter, because yeah. when the children were young, they were the one who did everything. And the other party didn't do any much, but now they want to. Um, you know, that's not and the, the other thing, you know, I, I find that I don't, like as a lawyer, I don't understand sometimes with clients is, um, you know, I've had people who come through my door who have say four children with somebody and, you know, they'll tell me what a horrible parent that other person is and how he or she shouldn't have any parenting time or very limited parenting time. And I'll be honest, I'm sitting there and thinking like, at what point did you come to that realization? Like, you know, was it after child number one or child number two or child number three a child number four? Like, why did you keep having, if this person was such a horrible parent, I would have thought it would have shown up before child, before you, before the divorce, you know, piece came in. Uh, I would have thought it would have shown up before, you know, probably before child number two, um, you know, and, and that's the problem. I think mean, people just, they get caught up in their emotions and. Yeah, it's a very valid point because, a year ago, they probably thought the other parent was just fine. 
Yeah, exactly. and there was no issue, right? Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I, I actually did a talk on this, uh, very similar to this. In um, I do a coffee chat every Thursday morning in my group, and and I actually spoke about exactly this. And I just said, you know, the reality is that when your children go to the other parent's house, things are going to be different there. There might be less rules. The bedtime might be different. There might not be a bedtime. Maybe the meals aren't quite as healthy. Maybe baby doesn't get a nap at exactly the time that you would like the baby to nap. And maybe you will have a 24 hour period of readjusting the kids when they come back to you. But that doesn't mean that they've been mistreated or abused or neglected. And that doesn't mean they don't get to have an equally wonderful relationship with their other parent. Yeah. And, you know, because sometimes what I hear as the evidence of bad parenting is those things like yeah. no bedtime, no healthy food, like, okay. I mean, I went through that with, with my boys, but. And the court does not care about that. No. They, a court does not care. That's not, you know, enough for somebody to be considered a bad parent. No. And, you know, people have to learn to let that stuff go. Like, it, you know, there's going to be issues. And, and kids, like, transitions are hard. Like, I, you know, really when I have to transition houses every couple days or every week. And I know with my own kids, because we had, you know, for when they were younger, we had a 223 schedule and then we had a, a week about. And, you know, whatever schedule it was, when they first came back to my house or when they first went to their father's house that evening it usually was a bit of a shit show um because the the transition was hard on them and they acted out more and then they would yeah. settle in and then they would be fine for the rest of the time and then yeah. the transition would happen and it wasn't to do with anything going on at my house or anything going on at my ex-husband's house it was purely a transition thing yeah yeah no that a hundred percent i'd say there was a good 24-hour period especially if they'd been there for like the one of the longer stretches there would be a good 24-hour period before they were civilized I just ignored them I met yeah. their needs and just had very little yeah. to do with them until I was like oh there's my little angel okay exactly. we're back now <laughs> it was just like, because inevitably everything was then suddenly my fault so um but yes I, you're right transitions are very hard for the kids so I think it's uh yeah I you know I think I guess as we wrap up today um what would be something that you would want the people who listen to this podcast to hear from you about how to, I guess, move towards a more peaceful resolution with their ex as best as they can. Like what, how can they contribute to that goal? I think, you know, make sure you're putting your children's interests first. So be, if you be child focused about what's truly best for them, not about what's best for you. Um, and then you're putting it onto your child, be child focused. And, Remember that your child loves both parents um, and a healthy child who's going to grow into a healthy, well-adjusted adult is usually going to be one who's had a good relationship and good, you know, and parenting time with both their parents, had both parents in their lives. Um, and so to take that approach, don't draw your children into the adult conflict. Never. I mean, it's very hard. And I think we all slip up sometimes, but try never to badmouth the other parents uh, to your children um and you know make sure you I'm, I'm giving more than one tip here but you know make sure you have people like you know elizabeth and the separation club um on your team and in your life because you need those people to vent to and to you know maybe knock some sense into you sometimes if needed but certainly that'll help you be a, a more child focused parent 
um, because you have an outlet for your own, you know, sadness, anger, grief, whatever it might be, and, and you're not bottling it up, or, you know, actually talking to your child about it. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think that is excellent advice. And uh, I think we will, we will stop there for today. Anyway, I'm sure we could talk about like 18 other things for another couple of hours, but we'll do that another time. Thank you, Leanne, again, so, so much. Um, all your information will be shared uh, in the show notes for those of you who are in Ontario, right? That would be sort of limitations of who you yeah. can serve, Ontario, Canada. But, um, you know, I hope that this has been beneficial to anyone who's listened. I'm sure it is. There's, you know, the things that we've talked about go across borders. So thank you so much for being here and for always being a voice of reason in this world. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. That was a great conversation. I am so grateful to Leanne for spending that time with us here and for sharing her wisdom when it comes to divorcing a higher conflict or narcissistic personality. You know, I think it was really valuable to hear that, you know, it is important to work with an attorney who is, who does somewhat specializes and, you know, great that she gave us some of the questions to ask to find that right person and also how to avoid some of the pitfalls and why it's important to work with someone who has experience in this area and so many other things. So I will include all of her contact information in the show notes below. Divorcing a high conflict person is definitely not easy and healing from an abusive marriage, um, whether emotional, verbal, physical, or, or all is hard and take special care. There's a healing journey, you know, that definitely needs to be had with a therapist or a counselor. But then there comes a point where it's, it's time to move forward. You know, a lot of the healing has happened and, but you still feel just kind of stuck in the pain and stuck in the past, perhaps. If you feel that you are still reliving that and still not finding that joyful place within your heart and in your life that happiness just seems to not be around for you that you're stuck somehow or you just want to feel better live bigger create a beautiful life for yourself you want to feel confident going into a new relationship knowing that you're not going to repeat any kind of a pattern if any of these things speak to you we would love to invite you on a journey. And by we, I mean Chanel and I. Chanel is a beautiful young woman who is a domestic abuse survivor, um, domestic violence survivor. And together we are going to be teaching a course on healing from an abusive relationship. Um, abuse meaning all of the ones that I've talked about. And we're going to be running this course starting on January 26th. And this is your invitation to join us this is going to be a very special journey. So I will include the link below and the date and everything that you need so that you can join us. If there was ever a sign, if you're sitting at the end of this podcast thinking, oh, I just want to feel better. I want this to be over. I want this to be behind me. I want to move forward with my life. Then join us. Join us for our course, for our coaching experience with Chanel and I that starts on January 26th. We will see you there. Have a beautiful day.